Guten Morgen! Guten Morgen, America! This was just posted 13 minutes ago. New attorney shows arraignment. Trump criminal co-defendant gets ready for a world of legal pain. <laughs> Adhering. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Donald Trump's co-defendant, Walt Nauta, co-defendant uh -huh. in the case, brought by Special Counsel Jack Smith in a 38-count indictment for obstruction of justice, conspiracy, making false statements, and willful retention of national defense information. Uh -huh. Finally, Walt Nauta has found a Florida-licensed lawyer to <laughs> represent him and thus his arraignment took place on Thursday. He pled not guilty after seeking and receiving two continuances of prior hearings where his arraignment was supposed to take place. The lawyer who will be representing him is somebody by the name of Sasha Dayton. Sasha Dayton's name does not appear in any of the federal court record databases, which is called PACER, meaning that she probably has never done a federal case before. But she is described as a local Fort Pierce lawyer who has handled a lot of state cases, a lot of local cases um, in the Fort Pierce area, and that is where Judge Eileen Cannon uh, presides. That's where Eileen Cannon's court is. That's likely the location of where the trial is going to be. If you do a Google search of Sasha Dayton Bonner, and you uh, check out the website that she has, she describes herself as a sex crime defense team lawyer. Here, here's the website that she has. Um, this is the biography she gives for herself. As a Florida licensed attorney, Sasha began her legal career at the Office of the Public Defender. As an assistant public defender, she represented over 3,000 clients and felonies, misdemeanors, DUIs, and juvenile cases where she gained significant trial experience. She's achieved favorable results for her clients. She takes depositions. She writes <laughs> research. After leaving the public defender's office, Once she handled civil cases involving she, she domestic violence injunctions, time-sharing child support matters. Um, at the Dayton Law Firm, she is compassionate about every case she handles. Um, nothing here about violations of the Espionage Act or obstruction of justice yeah, or stealing. Well, uh, classified information anyway. or nuclear codes, but Sasha Dayton will now join Walt Nauta's legal team, which includes another lawyer um, that is being paid for by Donald Trump. That's, that lawyer's name is Stanley Woodward Jr. That's who the real kind of day-to-day -day lawyer is going to be, Stanley Woodward. Trump's morning, political action arm pays Stanley Woodward, and Woodward represents a number of other individuals who work for Donald Trump not just Walt Nauta, uh, but the uh, arraignment took place on Thursday, finally, perhaps supposed to take place on June 13th when Trump was arraigned. Nauta and Woodward showed up and said, Nauta couldn't find a lawyer, can we continue it? Then on June 27th, Nauta didn't even show up to the court appearance. Stanley Woodward showed up, said that the flight got canceled, Nauta couldn't show up, we're sorry, Judge. 
We need one more extension. We're looking for a local Florida licensed lawyer because Woodward is not licensed to practice law in the state of Florida. You have to work with a licensed lawyer and appear what's called pro hoc vice, which basically is a Latin term that means to be sponsored by a Florida licensed lawyer. And the courts are fine. We'll continue one more time. It got continued to July 6th, and Walton had found a lawyer who uh, promotes herself on Google, at least, as a sex crime defense team lawyer. Doesn't seem to be a specialist or an expert or um, have done a lot of espionage-related cases. And special counsel Jack Smith's team is made up of some of the top experts, the top uh, counterintelligence uh, prosecutors um, that's ever existed in in, um, our country. There's a take about Sasha Dayton, though, that I want to let you know my opinion about. You know, I've seen people say, here is yet another lawyer who is giving up her reputation to represent (laughs) someone in Donald Trump's orbit, and she should never have taken this representation, and, you know, that now she's going down. I don't know enough about Sasha Dayton to make that point. Here's my view. Every person, including Donald Trump and Walt Nelton and Giuliani, people in Donald Trump's orbit, they have a constitutional right to a criminal defense lawyer. I do not demean criminal defense lawyers because they represent bad people. That is the job, in many cases, of a criminal defense lawyer. And it is a job that is actually reflected as a right that people have in our Constitution who are accused of crime. So you don't see us here on the Midas Touch Network making videos that uh, criticize or go after. We haven't made a video yet about really going after Todd Blanche for something that he said. We did a video showing that he was uh, incompetent and not prepared for a hearing, but that's just the reality of what went down in a court in a separate case involving the New York uh, District Attorney, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's case. But you, you don't really hear us doing videos about Todd Blanche, right? One of Donald Trump's lawyers. We don't do videos about Suzanne or Susan Necklace, who's Donald Trump's criminal defense lawyer in the Manhattan District Attorney 34 felony count case for falsification of business records. And the reason is they are not out there the same way an Alina Haba is, a Christina Bob is, a Joe Takapina is, a Rudy Giuliani is how some of Donald Trump's other lawyers who have since quit um, the way they've kind of put themselves out there like Jim Trusty who, someone like Jim Trusty knows better. I mean, Jim Trusty knows what he's saying is wrong. Former federal prosecutor worked with special counsel Jack Smith, who's now quit the Trump legal team, but he knew that he was saying complete BS. And so that's why we're very critical of him. You know, Alina Haba, Christina Bob, they just show up and lie and degrade our democracy and engage in conduct that really degrades the legal profession. That's why there's criticism when they file frivolous lawsuits and they go on TV and just lie and lie miserably and just say these outrageous things that we do videos and we're critical of their conduct and the way they are 
again, harming the legal profession, harming our democracy. So that's the lens and prism that we use here at the Midas Touch Network. So when it comes to someone like Sasha Dayton, I can say, okay, someone who's advertising herself as the sex crime defense team, why is she on this case? Is she qualified to be on this case? That's a, a, a fair question, a fair question to ask, but it seems like she's got trial experience, and I don't fault her for representing somebody accused of a crime. Even Donald Trump, people who are accused of crime have a right to lawyers. The issue is, this is where we'll Get have to see what happens, is the lawyer abusing the process? Are they fundamentally attacking our constitution are they asserting actual legitimate defenses or are they perpetuating falsehoods Helping and, delay. and just trying to delay and just causing havoc and chaos then we'll do a video that's critical of sasha Day. but i don't falter for taking this you know representation walt nauta has the right to lawyers has the right needs a florida lawyer and I'm okay with it. Um, but we will judge people by their actions, by their conduct here. Um, and I'll judge Walt Nauta by his conduct, right? Because in the recently unsealed portions, new portions of the search warrant affidavit, that was the basis of the search warrant that was executed on Mar-a-Lago, where a probable cause determined was reached back in August of 2022. When you read this portion, you see the conduct that Walt Nauta engaged in. He's described as witness number five because at that time he was not viewed necessarily as a co-conspirator or certainly not a criminal defendant at that time. Walt Nauta made his own bed by making Donald Trump Billy cheesesteaks and riding with Trump and being Trump's pawn. We can criticize Walt Nauta for his criminal conduct, but... This is Walt Nauta's conduct that we learned about based on the recently unsealed portions of the search warrant affidavit from 2022. This is what a FBI counterintelligence official put in the declaration to Judge Bruce Reinhardt back in August of 2022. By reviewing the camera footage provided by the Trump Organization in response to this subpoena, the FBI has determined the following. On May 24, 2022, Walt Nauta is observed exiting the anteroom doorway with three boxes. On May 30, 2022, four days after Witness 5's interview with the FBI, during which the location of the boxes was a significant subject of questioning, Witness 5 is observed exiting the anteroom doorway with approximately 50 banker's boxes, consistent with the description of Trump boxes. FBI did not observe this quantity of boxes being returned to the storage room through the anteroom entrance in its review footage. The next day, on June 1, 2022, Walt Nauta is observed carrying 11 brown cardboard boxes out of the anteroom entrance. One box did not have a lid on it and appeared to contain papers. The day after that, on June 2nd, 2022, Witness 5 is observed moving 25 to 30 boxes, some of which were brown cardboard boxes and others which were banker's boxes, 
consistent with the descriptions of trunk boxes into the entrance of the ante room. Approximately three and a half hours later, uh, witness five, who's Walt Nauka, is observed escorting Trump's lawyer one in through the entrance of the ante room, and Trump's counsel one is not observed leaving until approximately two and a half hours later. On June 3rd, 2022, Trump's lawyer is escorted through the ante room entrance by an unidentified individual wearing a jacket with United States Secret Service police printed on the back. The unidentified individual and Trump's lawyer exit the anteroom entrance moments later. Trump's counsel appeared to be carrying a red world envelope exiting the anteroom. That's conduct that I am critical of. We are evidence based here on the Midas Touch Network. Look at the evidence. Look at the facts. We make our opinions and draw conclusions based on the facts as presented. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1.5 million subscribers this summer. That's the goal. Help us get there. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Wherever you get audio podcasts, subscribe to the Midas Touch podcast as well. And uh, hit subscribe on our YouTube. It's free. Have a great day. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch. Keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Counsel Jack Smith pushes for this December trial for Donald Trump, arranged just under a month ago, with his aide and co-defendant, Walt Nata, who you see right there, also facing this indictment on conspiracy, lying, and withholding classified documents. Now, that once obscure valet and body man is back in the news. Everyone saw him that day at Trump's arraignment. There's some shots where he's around Trump or in the background, but he didn't plead that day or the next week or even the week after that. No, Nada did not enter his plea because there's a Florida legal requirement in that district that you have local counsel. The Wall Street Journal reports that Nada's search for a Florida lawyer had been beset by wariness of reputational damage from a high-profile case involving Trump. In other words, while he is legally presumed innocent and the burdens on the government, it is a public fact that even getting a lawyer is hard when you are this yoked to this person you work for who's your co-conspirator under the indictment, your co-defendant. Now, the Florida lawyer he did find is a, quote, former public defender with limited experience in the federal courts, according to the New York Times. Indeed, if you check, there's a, a federal system for this, sort of the Google of courts. It's called PACER, and you can't find her name in PACER in that database. But the Times notes she has handled some local cases. Now, Nada was out dining with Trump as recently as Friday. You can see him there together. They were in Philadelphia. But this news tonight that Nada's finally gotten a lawyer so he can finally do step one, which is plead, and I'll get into that, speaks to the potential gap here between two people whose fates are intertwined. A gap in the very literal timing of these arraignments, taken three weeks, but also potentially a gap in the level of defense they have. It wasn't until today that we got this scene. Now they're getting his own arraignment. This is him entering the courthouse where the lawyer entered a not guilty plea. And those are the new sketches of that. And this hearing was even quicker than Trump. It lasted about five minutes. When Nada left the courthouse, he declined to answer questions.
big questions here is whether Donald Trump is going to really help this individual. This isn't the first time he's had someone in his inner orbit in the legal trouble. And it doesn't look like, from what we can tell, that Trump's helping that much with even getting a lawyer. I mean, he got himself one in time, but just not, again, it took weeks to even get what I just showed you, him walking out of court today. Now, so I think Russell Smith indicted Donald Trump for all of these issues, including espionage. And he indicted Nada for conspiring with Trump. So everything that Nada is accused of is, is basically for Trump's benefit. There isn't in the indictment or in the information we have right now any apparent benefit to Nada himself. And as I mentioned, Trump aides have been in that position before. Michael Cohen pled guilty to an election crime that was for the election of Donald Trump or his campaign, not his own. Run. The same incident there is now part of Trump's other pending criminal trial in New York. So what I'm telling you tonight as we follow Nada's developments is that his entire case turned on Trump. Both men face the prospect of real prison time if they fight this to the end and leave. And today we've got new details on how Nada acted with the unsealing of part of the original search warrant, which includes for the first time a step-by-step -step breakdown of what the cameras allegedly caught him doing. They show that he was caught basically making two trips to bring boxes out of his storage room, including 50 in one day, 11 more the next day, then he returned with 25 to 30 boxes. And that is consistent with the timeline we reported on for you based on the original indictment's evidence, where across from left to right over time, you see how they systematically and repeatedly, the two of them, allegedly misled the FBI, their own lawyers, and hid this material. Altogether, this is the kind of evidence that convinced the judge to authorize the first ever search of a former president's Now, why does that matter? Because many of those boxes clearly contained contraband. And just to lay this out tonight, that's the material the prosecutors wanted. Now, contraband can be drugs in one case, can be classified documents in another, but if you're moving 10, 20, or 30 boxes, it's impossible to then claim that that was a rounding error. I, I can't remember one missing box, or an honest mistake, or something that you completely forgot. And here's what I'm telling you, this isn't an opinion or an observation here, this is the hard evidence which we have the reporting that proved to a judge there was probable cause of that contraband being in Mar-a-Lago of the fruits of a potential crime. And these tapes, the surveillance tapes, the audio tapes, that's the evidence that went from probable cause, which is how they searched, to Ben Jackson indicted on a premise that he says he can prove these crimes by both these men beyond a reasonable doubt. The tapes change things, and they say they have tapes on tapes. A recent filing suggests multiple tapes, that there's some additional tape even beyond the surveillance, and the Trump audio recording that made so much news and that we've now heard about, where Donald Trump effectively started to cook his own goose, evidentiary-wise, <laughs> and put more heat on this co-conspirator not. And so again, as I'm telling you, if this were a more traditional case, and it certainly isn't, much of what I'm talking about right now, we might have gotten into the day of the original arraignment when both individuals would have been arraigned, but Nada couldn't get a lawyer in time. Imagine working for the former president, being paid by him, maybe having him say or even effectively act in ways that make you think that no matter how expensive the federal case gets and these things can add up, you're going to be covered, you're going to be good. And then it takes you weeks to even get a lawyer who, as we mentioned, no disrespect, is not exactly the most celebrated lawyer. It's certainly not the lawyer that Donald Trump chose. So, all that, and then imagine that your co-defendant and your boss is doing things you're not doing, saying things you're not saying, and adding heat to both of your cases. Because we've gone through those tapes as well as Donald Trump's public meandering and sometimes confessing interviews, and they don't match up well.
the Iran attack plan. You remember that? Ready? You were recording. It wasn't a document. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll show you an example. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department of when I said that I couldn't declassify it now, that's because I wasn't president. I, I never made any bonds about that. When I'm not president, I can't declassify it. Yeah. If I was president, I could have declassified This is classified. Is not what you want to hear if you're pro-defendant and you're in court today and your defense is, we were just moving boxes, we didn't know they were stolen classified documents. Turning out important developments in this challenge of rising political violence in America and a story involving two former presidents. You may recall them. This was their only in-person meeting at the White House before the transition. Donald Trump recently posted the Obama's address, after which a Trump supporter brought heavy-duty weaponry in the Obama's home. And the court filing regarding the indictment of this Trump fan says that he basically used the same app online as Donald Trump to repost the Obama's address after Trump and writing, we got these losers surrounded, see you in hell. The individual is a known January 6th rioter, Taylor Taranto. Authorities were already hunting to arrest him for activities related to the insurrection and threats made against perceived Trump opponents like Jamie Raskin and Speaker McCarthy. They then caught him outside of a van that he apparently lives in where they confiscated two guns, a machete, explosive materials, and about 400 rounds of ammunition. And he was also, as mentioned, caught on tape trespassing inside the Capitol on January 6th. So he faces four charges from that day and new charges connected to his armed visit to Obama's neighborhood. So this is a very specific case where, on the one hand, he was apprehended, and so there was no harm. And so you might say, well, there's a certain threat level in all of these cases. On the other hand, just imagine, heaven forbid, if he had used any of that weaponry against anyone in that neighborhood or anyone at that residence or even against, apparently, his perceived target, the Obamas themselves. This is what authorities have been warning about. And we, of course, are living through it. So if you watch the news on the one hand, you may say, okay, Ari, yeah, I'm familiar. But this is very important to seep into many aspects of how we govern ourselves in this country. Civic, law enforcement, and I'll say culturally, do we understand the nature of the threat? You know, it's a contrast to that era, say, after 9-11, when the largest threats on the home front were deemed by the security agencies and other indications to be largely foreign terrorists or lone wolves who might be inspired by foreign terrorism and try to help those folks. Well, that era is clearly over, and the facts and the law enforcement leaders are telling us something else, that white supremacist extremists and other domestic right-wing criminals and terrorists are the threat. The most significant and persistent terrorism-related threat facing our country today, which stems from both homegrown and domestic violent extremists, domestic violent extremists, radicalized by personalized grievances, ranging from racial and ethnic bias, <laughs> to anti-government, anti-authority sentiment, to conspiracy theories. That second speaker you hear there is Director Ray, who happened to be picked under the last Trump administration. And he's saying it in the sort of the language of law enforcement, somewhat maybe you want to call it diplomatically, but he's talking about right-wing MAGA. He's talking about people with government grievances, racial grievances, and right-wing conspiracy theorists, domestic extremists. 
We are living through this. And it's something of a resorting and disruption of the threat assessment. So on the one hand, there are these incidents with Trump's inflammatory role well known from January 6th to other sometimes lesser known incidents. There was a lone wolf attack on an FBI field office just last year when Trump was clashing with the FBI over his legal problems. There's a 2018 plot by a MAGA supporter who sent homemade pipe bombs to perceived Trump critics. Authorities then found him in a white van plastered with Trump stickers in Florida. On the other hand, the DOJ's prosecution of the people who led the insurrection has already shown that this kind of violence and right-wing sedition has immediate and terrible consequences. Let me show you the numbers. We've mentioned this before, but you have over a thousand arrests and already over 500 people convicted and sent to prison. In fact, very few people have beat a case coming out of the DOJ's Jan 6 probe. You have a convicted seditionist militia leader, Stuart Rhodes, now doing 18 years by one example, and he recently said he expects Trump will be convicted in his own trial as well. And these are the kind of stiff penalties that are also credited for gutting any replay of a January 6th type event at either of Trump's recent arraignments, where the former president posted and clamored and called for large crowds, but he could barely summon any big gathering, let alone anybody willing to risk prison with more criminal activity on behalf of a leader who seems to sometimes demand it. So, if we take it all together here, there's obviously more than one thing going on. Some in law enforcement say the numbers show measurable improvement against this tough challenge. Or as Paul McCartney put it in a different context, it's getting better. A little better all the time. But compared to what? And I bring you John Lennon's reply in a different context. It can't get no worse. Her <laughs> Republican efforts to censor what people are learning, and this battle is often being fought at the local level in very extreme or intense ways. Teachers in Florida had to cover up their bookshelves for fear of getting sanctioned or fired over the books that were in circulation. There are attempted book limitations and even outright bans in Georgia. A teacher can get fired for reading to a fifth grade student based on a complaint from a single parent. Morning, Katie Rinderly read her kids the best-selling book, My Shadow is Purple, which was purchased at the school's own book fair. Now, it happens to tell the story of a child who identifies as non-binary. School told Rinderly that she was violating a Georgia law, which is called the Divisive Concepts Law. Katie and her lawyer say the school district does not even specify which part of the book was divisive. The parent who filed the complaint allegedly said, I would consider anything in the genre LGBT and queer divisive. Larger question is who is in charge of curriculums? I'm joined now by Katie Rinderley, the Georgia teacher, uh, who read the book, My Shadow is Purple. Uh, thanks for joining me on the beat. Thanks for having me, Ari. Um, so just tell us first, you know, in your own words, uh, what happened here. So I went read this book to my fifth grade class after they had voted on it from a selection of books. Uh, my Shadow is Purple won the majority vote. And after reading it, students engaged in conversation about the book's message and really connected with messages they received. A few days later, I was called into my principal's office um, following a parent's complaint with an email stating that this, was, this topic was divisive. Um, that followed an investigation and where I was then placed on administrative leave um, and then placed for up for termination with my district. So, Beth, you're, Beth, if you understand it, it was a direct response 
um, to reading this book. Correct. Yes, and, the parents' email. The parents' email um, was originally sent to me as well, and then I was placed on administrative leave following investigation from her complaint. And based on your knowledge of sort of your own school and workplace, do you feel like this has always been a big risk or the recent climate as well as some of these recent laws uh, are sort of upping the ante, making parents more aware that they could try to do this or making the school more sensitive to, I guess, what they consider avoiding, uh, quote, the divisive material, which in this case, uh, people can judge for themselves, but sounds like a, one of many stories you could tell kids. You know, truly the only thing that's clear in all of this is that this, these laws are vague and very poorly written um, in a way that creates fear amongst teachers, causing them to self-censor, and then, yes, also allowing parents to inject their viewpoints into education. And when you look at uh, your interaction with your students, I mean, what do you think is important to expose them to? It's certainly fair, I think, for people to observe that there's debates about at what age you share what material, and that's what curriculum is for. Sixth grade material is different than seniors, and it's different than uh, college classes that deconstruct everything, right? Um, but was your experience that these kind of books are basically age appropriate, and that you felt as a teacher, based on your expertise, that it was a positive, uh, positive in the classroom, or, or what was your experience? Yeah, books about being true to yourself, embracing your strengths and the strengths of others, you know, that's important for students to learn. It's also important for students to be able to engage in discourse that allows them to learn from each other and hear perspectives from others around them um, in order for them to be active, you know, in our society and to think critically. And do you feel that this is largely, we've reported on it, and there's more than one permutation, but a lot of these laws have been coming in, in southern states from Republicans uh, in office. Has that been your experience that this is coming from the right, or how do you view it? So, you know, again, these laws are being enacted in our legislation and then enforced through the districts. So, again, the vagueness of these laws are truly what is chilling educators. And what's been the climate, you know, everybody knows about parent-teacher conferences or the role of teachers. I mean, do you feel uh, in the recent era that it has somehow gotten worse, that more and more parents are on edge, or in your view, perhaps in a theory? I mean, this parent obviously had their view, but took it up a notch. Um, or is it the opposite, that sometimes the national media is looking at one version of this, but perhaps many or the bulk of your parents seem fine, and this is sort of coming in, in, the, in the extreme pockets. I think it's definitely extreme to um, center the voices of a minority group of people where they're not engaging with the majority of the voice of the parents and teachers and students. So, I mean, simply put, in this example, it's not your perception that the majority or many parents were upset about this book thing. It was literally, you feel like, not everybody's concern. Absolutely. Yeah. This was, um, go ahead. Um, this was, you know, made for me to feel like it was this entire community. And then, you know, it really is truly this complaint that was started from one parent.
rides. Thanks for 188k. And shout out to KAMP Student Radio at the University of Arizona. And KPYT, Bakoyaki, Travelio, Travelio, Travel Radio. On the rest with just a show. So how's your German, America? Is your German? Forget! Deutscher! Die Deutscher! Is good? Been a very good change in the law. You know, to your to your point about the the, the GOP, ago. the MAGA extremist in obsessed maniac, Trump attacks Jack Smith in new very desperate post one hour ago. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. I want to show you proof just how desperate Donald Trump yeah. is right now with the ah. posts he's making about special counsel Jack Smith. But I want to take your guidance because in a lot of the comments I saw, what you said is, Ben, in the previous video you did where you first talk about the posts by President Biden and then compare them to the deranged posts by Donald Trump at the same time, it highlights even more so just how disqualifying these posts are by Donald Trump. And so I'm listening, I hear you, and I agree. Because look, as President Biden said, do not compare me to the Almighty. Compare me to the alternative. That's what we are going to do. On the one hand, you have a responsible adult trying to solve big problems. And on the other hand, you have a MAGA Republican, malignant, narcissistic, sociopathic, no, twice indicted, twice impeached maniac in Donald Trump I'm trying to harm our democracy. But let's let their own words speak for themselves. I don't need to give you my commentary. Let's just hear from them. So President Biden, what are you talking about? Here's the post. Under Bidenomics, Americans who had been on the sidelines are back to work. We're going to build on this progress by ensuring every American has the training and education to participate in this new economy. So... President Biden talking about jobs, talking about working conditions, talking about training, talking about bottom-up, middle-out economics, not this trickle-down nonsense. Biden talking about what he can do for the people. Next post. Bidenomics is about the future. It's rooted in what's always worked best in this country, investing in Americans. When we invest in our people, we strengthen the middle class and see the economy grow. Investing in people, investing in workers, investing in the middle class, investing in small business, not giving billionaires and decamillionaires unfair tax advantages not letting them not pay their fair share or letting them get away with paying their fair share. Rather, it's about how do we help most Americans? How do we just make sure it's fair? It's a fair system, not rigged. 
Here is what President Biden also says. Bidenomics means the industries of the future are going to grow right here at home. We've already had $490 billion in private investment commitments from U.S. companies and companies coming to America. Again, jobs, manufacturing, more factories here, more work. And then you have President Biden say, Congress needs to step up and pass common sense gun safety laws to protect our kids and educators. Arming teachers is not the answer. Banning assault weapons and high capacity magazines and ensuring extensive background checks are part of the solutions and talking about what it is that we can do. Okay. Still there. Oh yeah. What do you know? Anyway. Said Brother Ben, please stop saying he's a, a sociopath. He's a malignant, narcissistic psychopath. Brother Ben. Please stop. Not start. Let's compare that to what Donald Trump is talking about. You think Donald Trump is talking about workers? You think Donald Trump is talking about investing in America? You think Donald Trump is talking about education and training? Do you think Donald Trump is talking about any of that? Of course not. Of course not. Here's what Donald Trump is talking about. Brit Yuma Fox has really gotten it wrong. First of all, he never thought I would win in 2016, and some things never change. In 2020, I got more votes than any sitting president in history by far. Biden didn't get 80 million votes. The election was rigged. Even if you just want to go by the recent FBI Twitter files hoax or the DOJ Facebook scam or true the vote where tapes of millions of votes are shown being stuffed, he likes to say I lost, but I didn't. And my endorsements almost all won. Everything he's saying in here is a complete and utter lie. Like, and not just a lie. You say it's a big lie, but this is just some deranged, vile, malignant, narcissistic, weird crap right here. This is fascism meets idiocracy. This is what Donald Trump is talking about. Not how can I help you, but why, whiny, I won, I won. Even though I lost, I'm a winner, I'm a real winner. How are you helping Americans? What are you doing to address issues that people are facing? Right? What are you doing to focus on jobs, education, social security, veterans, allowing women to control their body? What are you doing for equality? I know you're trying to hurt it. I know you're trying to harm it. I know you're trying to divide us. But Just what are you doing? Just whining That's about himself. Here's the next post. Oh, this is a press release. Battery low. Oh, 
vital case law, of which there is much, further confirms that the Presidential Records Act, PRA, is the only statute which applies to presidents and their records. These cases build on the clinton Socks case in making it clear that presidents have complete latitude and authority when it comes to documents, as well as that the PRA has no criminal enforcement mechanism. Deranged Jack Smith knows this, but refuses to even mention the words Presidential Records Act in his scam indictment of Biden's political opponent, who is leading by a lot in the middle of the campaign. I don't know. The same Department of Justice that is now going after, quote, President Trump, not the president, just a few years ago argued on behalf of the president for a wide and complete application of the PRA in many cases, and one in front of Democrat-appointed judges such as Supreme Court Justice Kentonji Brown Jackson, who ruled totally in favor of the president. These facts decisively and without question explain why the current weaponized DOJ corruptly failed to mention the PRA in their contrived indictment against me and are also to some of the... I'm just bored. I'm just bored reading that right there. I'm sorry. I'll spare you. I'll give you my critique right now because this is just the same freaking incorrect erroneous nonsense that builds off the clinton's socks case wait a minute i'm trying to think what what's that case is that the case that the person is not a lawyer tom fitton judicial watch filed where judge amy berman jackson found there was no jurisdiction to file a lawsuit in 2012 as a random dude tom fitton is not a lawyer to try to compel the national archives to force former president bill clinton to produce the personal notes for his personal autobiography where Judge Amy Berman Jackson yeah, laughed you out of court. I don't have jurisdiction. I don't have time for this nonsense. You don't have standing. What in the heck is this lawsuit? Oh, and by the way, these are personal notes for Clinton's personal autobiography. So, if anything... This case would be persuasive authority against Donald Trump. And at the most basic level, district court cases, even though this one goes against Donald Trump, they're not precedent. It's not a circuit court decision, a court of appeals, or the Supreme Court, which makes precedent. A district court may be persuasive authority, but here, this is persuasive authority against Donald Trump, because here's the deal. If we were talking about Donald Trump's personal notes for his personal autobiography, that's a different story. But Donald Trump, your lawyers have never claimed that, what, our nuclear codes, that classified information, that sensitive compartmented information, that military strategies and war plans are personal to you? You know, the thing about Donald Trump's lawsuit that he filed against the Department of Justice back in 2022, after the search warrant was executed in Mar-a-Lago, is that his lawyers had the opportunity, if they were going to make that claim, to say the documents were personal and belonged to him. They were his. They could have made that. But you know why they didn't make that in a court? Because that would be unlawful. It's not true. So if you are claiming that the classified records are personal, you are admitting to the violations of the Espionage Act, and you are admitting to the crimes by misappropriating things that don't belong to you. So that's why your lawyers didn't say they're personal. And the Clinton Sox case is not precedent that supports you. And a district court case can't be precedent anyway. 
But I digress. Here's Donald Trump's next post. So you get the picture. President Biden. Here's what we're going to do for workers. Here's what we're going to do for health care. Here's what we're going to do for protecting Social Security. Here's what we're going to do to reduce gun violence. Things that matter to us. But here's Donald Trump again. Another post. Deranged Jack Smith purposefully omitted the Presidential Records Act from his sham indictment, even though he knows that the PRA is the only law that applies, nor does he mention the Clinton Sox case, blah, 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 in big caps, prosecutorial misconduct and grand jury abuse, election interference. Oh, of course. Then they got to hit you with the grift. Make your retirement recession-proof by investing in precious, precious, metal, precious metals. Do not call this. I'm just showing you the types of stuff that are being put out on that social media platform. Folks, again, you got to compare what's going on here. It's a comparison, right? As President Biden says, it's not a comparison with the Almighty. It's a comparison with the alternative. And as I always say... Uh, do I agree with everything that Democrats do? Do I agree with everything President yeah, Biden does? I don't agree with a lot of it. I don't agree with all of it. Um, but if Biden posted one QAnon meme, I'd stop, meme, I'd stop supporting him. Right then and there, for all the great stuff he did, one QAnon meme, because we have to have standards. We have someone posting QAnon memes. But Donald Trump posts death cult QAnon memes like every day and acts like a maniac every day in large media networks. Like, oh, it's just a conservative campaign. It's not conservative at all. Look, the Democratic Party is a pro-democracy coalition today. It's made up of Democrats. It's made up of, I think, former Republicans who are not these MAGA, it's real conservatives, liberals, progressives, people not affiliated with political parties, but people who are serious and realize we need to elect serious people. Okay? That's what's important right now. And this MAGA Republican mess, that's what it is, needs to be called out in the truest terms for what it is. And I think this comparison is a helpful way of just reminding us all what the stakes are and what the choice is. That's why we'll do this every single day. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1.5 million subscribers thanks to your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Wherever you get audio podcasts, subscribe to the Midas Touch podcast. Even the mice. All right, hit subscribe. Birds and even the mice seem to, like, go nuts over styrofoam. (laughs) Let's go to town on styrofoam. So, let's see here. The rights of Allah. (laughs) Salam alaikum, my friends. Let's all learn a little bit of uh, every language. Actually, that's a great idea for a language class. Here's a... Got 42 views on my Mother of the Sea duet.
I try to record and sing one song every day and share it in order to heal the planet. Hashtag heal America. We've been traumatized by Trump neo-Nazi regime. 432 is healing frequency. Felt the wrong kind of heel. <laughs> like your foot heel. Of course. Sing and record a song every day in order to heal America. Shows me my connection by the red sea. <laughs> Let's see here. Okay, um, Facebook, I just did that. And uh, I tried to. I, I need to uh, upload some more this morning. So, I'm share this on music by the Trista. Let's see, 80s music <clears throat> Share your music. 267K members. Music promotion. Private group, 73,000 members. Okay, I'll try that. SoundCloud Music Promotion Group. United States All Music Promotion Network, 66,000. Music promotion. 
10 seconds long. Okay. Hi there, I'm Tristan Pepe. And I wanted to offer some suggestions to Americans on the topic of Clarence Thomas and the five other Supreme Court justices who, in my opinion, should be private. And I wanted to offer some to Americans. And I wanted to offer some suggestions to Americans on the topic of Clarence Thomas and the five other Supreme Court justices who, in And remove them! Exclamation point. Call DOJ 202-514-2000. Says <laughs> charge 62 cream court. <laughs> Six. Supreme Court Justice with 
Perjury. Perjury. And corruption. And remove. Jesus Christ, superstars. Oh my gosh. Trista on Facebook. on Facebook. Go follow. Trying to piggyback on uh, her, her massive success. Okay, so um, come back for some more. If you like pain, haha, <laughs> just kidding. If you like love and laughter, 